Great, good morning. There are two passages we're going to look at today, the first of which is Psalm 50. So feel free to follow along on the screen or turn to that in your hard copies of the Bible. Psalm 50. The mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my consecrated ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honour me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You speak continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with none to rescue. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. The second passage is just one verse from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you very much for that, Chris. We're looking at the moment at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is using this prayer to teach his followers how to pray. Uh, and we want to listen to Jesus, don't we? Because we want to, we want to make sure we get prayer right. Prayer, I, I, I don't know if you, um, you know, but prayer is actually really popular in our world today. Um, a couple of years ago, McCrindle did a survey to work out what percentage of people pray in Australia. Uh, I wonder if you uh, could guess how many people in Australia pray each week. It's a little bit like Jane's Kids Talk. I should have done a slide with a quiz question, uh, shouldn't I? Um, how many people in Australia do you think pray each week? 35%. 35%. That's more than one in three people in this country who say that they pray each week. That's surprising, isn't it? Prayer is very popular. 
Of course, that doesn't tell us who people are praying to or, uh, you know, whether people understand prayer at all. It doesn't necessarily mean that people are getting prayer right. There are lots of ways that we could get prayer wrong. When, when Jesus was teaching about prayer, um, prayer, was, prayer was very popular in Jesus' day too. He lived in a religious society. Uh, but, but lots of people were getting prayer wrong. You know, um, we, we saw this last week. This is what Jesus was saying about um, how, how different people around him were getting uh, prayer wrong. He said this, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. They were praying just to show off. Or uh, verse 7, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard from their, uh, because of their many words. Praying like maybe prayer is sort of a magic spell, like if you can just sort of get the right words out, you can sort of make the universe or make the gods uh, bend to your will and do what you want them to do. So there are lots of ways you can go about prayer in the wrong way. And if there are lots of ways we can go about prayer in the wrong way, well, then how can we make sure we're getting prayer right? How can we make sure we're getting prayer right? I, uh, I think about my own prayer life. I'm definitely happy to put my hand up and say that I find prayer pretty hard. You know, like wonderfully, wonderfully joyful and a great blessing, but, but still pretty hard. Um, and the big thing that I would say for me is that um, when something's going wrong or if I'm in the middle of some stress or uncertainty, you know, I'm praying lots um, when I'm in the middle of something like that, you know, work stress, family sickness, financial stress, whatever it is, um, something's going on and that's making me pray all the time. Uh, but then when things are maybe a bit better and I don't have any kind of particularly pressing needs, um, then I might find that my prayer life drops off a little bit. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who could say they experience something like that. Uh, and I find myself asking questions like, well, how do I uh, know if I'm actually getting prayer right? You know, could I even be a little bit like those, those hypocrites? You know, they were praying for selfish reasons. Am I, being, am I being a little bit selfish in the way that I pray? I, I don't know, maybe you have questions like that. Well, if we find prayer hard, if we're a bit confused about prayer, if we want to make sure we're getting prayer right, well, the Lord's Prayer is the best place to go. Jesus gives us this prayer to help us, to teach us to get prayer right, to help us to pray well. And no part of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is more important for getting prayer right than the start. You get the right starting point, or you're almost a good portion of the way there already. This is where Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer, as Chris read for us. Our Father in heaven... As we looked at last week, this is who we're praying to, our loving Father. But, but this is then the, the, really the first line of the prayer proper. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. I want to show you this morning why this is the first line of the Lord's Prayer. I want to show you that if we want to get prayer right, and actually it's, it's actually more, more than just prayer, it actually helps us get our whole lives right. Well, there's so much to be gained from understanding why Jesus starts this prayer with hallowed be your name. It is the perfect starting point. Three questions for us as we think about hallowed be your name this morning. Question number one, what does it mean? What does hallowed be your name mean? Question number two, what difference does this make? And question number three, why would, why would we pray for this? Three questions. Firstly, hallowed be your name, what does, what does this mean? One of the uh, TV shows I thought was very funny when I was uh, growing up was Lane Owen Woodley. Uh, some of you might remember Lane Owen Woodley, uh, Colin Lane and Frank Woodley, um, two comedians. And there was an episode of Lane Owen Woodley that was 
all to do with church and to do with God. And uh, at one point, Frank turns to Colin and says, Ah, Colin, I just love Harold. And Colin says, what are, you, what are you talking about? Who's Harold? And, um, and, and Frank says, our Father in heaven, you know, our Father in heaven, Harold be your name. Um, what, what, is, what does hallowed be your name even mean? Is hallowed some sort of strange name for God, some sort of nickname? No. Um, of course, the word hallowed, it, has the same, uh, it actually has the same root as the word holy. So, we you know, God is a holy God. We're talking about God's holiness. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, it's, it's not an adjective. We're not just saying, oh, God, you are holy. We're not saying, we're not just describing something that's true. It's actually a verb. It's a doing word. So we're actually asking God to do something. We're asking God to show his holiness. We're saying, we want to see how holy you are, God. We want, to, we want the world to see that you're holy. Now, that's all well and good. We can say, okay, it's about holiness. But then, what does it mean to be holy? That's kind of hard to pin down as well, isn't it? I, um, I tried to think of the best illustration that I could to describe what it means to be holy, and I um, thought I'd bring along a couple of, couple of cups that I have at home. Um, let me talk about this one first. This is, just, um, this is just a plastic cup. It's just a normal cup, an ordinary cup that we have at home. Um, this is one of the cups that our kids use. Uh, it's a plastic cup, so obviously it's not going not to break. Um, and, and, and these sorts of cups in our house, they get used for all sorts of things. Um, you know, I, I might drink some water out of it. The kids drink water out of it. Um, they might drink milk out of it. They might drink juice out of it, whatever. Um, the other day I found this cup sitting in our sandpit outside. It was being used for sandcastles um, in, the, in, the sand, in the sandpit. Um, you know, I had to make sure it was really clean properly to try and stop getting sort of a gritty kind of gross taste when I was drinking water out of it. Um, you might find it outside in our backyard, in our mud kitchen. You know, this cup could be used for all sorts of things. Who knows what this cup is going to get used for this week? This cup, this cup is not holy. Now this cup, this cup, uh, this, this glass is, is kind of a little bit closer to what holiness is like. Um, sometimes you, you hear people say that the word holy means to be set apart. Well, um, that, that, that's right. This cup in, in our house has been set apart. I have set this cup apart. I've set this glass apart. Um, it's not kept with the other cups. It's not just in our cupboard with all the other cups. I keep it in a special cupboard. Uh, this, this is the glass I use for drinking whiskey. Now, I, um, I probably only, only use it every couple of months to have a little glass of whiskey. It doesn't get used very often. Um, but it's been set aside. It's been set aside for a specific purpose. And it's also been set aside for me. As far as I know, I, I may well be the only person to have ever drunk out of this glass. It's been set apart for my own personal use. And as far as I know, it's only ever had whiskey, whiskey drunk out of it. I don't, you know, I'm not even sure there's ever been any water in this glass. It's set apart in that it's completely consistent and dedicated to one purpose. You won't find this glass sitting out in my backyard or in the sandpit, or at least if you do, something's gone really badly wrong. Um, let me put it down because we need to be careful of it. Um, you see, God is holy because he's been set apart. He's not ordinary. He's not like everything else. He's, he's different. He's been set apart in that, unlike us, he's completely dedicated and consistent in his purposes. He's completely committed uh, to his perfect plans, his good purposes, his perfect justice. He doesn't have the off day when he kind of lets himself down. He, he's not the plastic cup that can be used for all sorts of different things. You know, water one day and it's in the sandpit the next. He's perfect in his consistency and in his dedication to his own purposes. He's set apart. He's not like us. He's holy. Now, there's a sense in the Bible, the Bible talks about this, there's a, there's a sense in that 
There are lots of things that can be holy. Uh, you know, a cup that was used in the temple in the Old Testament because it was solely for God's use. That cup could be called holy because it had been set apart to be used for God. And we could say, if we choose to give our lives to God and live our whole lives for God, we could say, well, that's us trying to live holy lives because we're giving our lives to God. We're setting, setting ourselves apart uh, for God's service. So we, we, we can try and be holy. We can try and live holy lives. But it's also true, there's, there's another sense in which it's true that um, as we're going to sing actually in our very last song today, that God alone is holy. He, he alone is holy. He's the only thing that is truly holy. Because you know, we can try and be holy, we can try and live in a holy way, um, but God, He stands alone. For, for God, holiness isn't something He does, it's something He is. God is purely holy, perfectly holy. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're, we're praying to God, we're saying, God, show us that you are holy. Show us your perfection. Show us your perfect character. Show us your perfect justice. Show us your consistency. Show, show us your perfect dedication to your promises. We're saying, God, show us that you are set apart. Show us that you are not like us. We want to we get a bigger view of who you are, God. We want to magnify your name, we might say. We want to See how holy you are. We want the world to see how holy you are. This is the prayer we pray, hallowed be your name. Partly it's a, partly it's a future-focused prayer uh, because one day the world will see God's holiness fully and, and totally. God's name will be properly and totally and fully hallowed one day. His holiness will be shown on that last day when Jesus returns. And on that day we'll see clearly His perfect justice, we'll see his righteousness, we'll see his love, we'll see his perfect dedication to his promises and fulfillment of his promises. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, partly we're praying that that day would come, that the world would see his holiness, that his name would be fully, ultimately and properly hallowed before the world and before us. But it's also a prayer that we're praying for the here and now, because we're praying that we could actually today catch a glimpse of what he's like. We're praying that we could even get something of a sense, a small sense of just how holy and amazing and set apart He is. We're praying for that last day that's coming, but we're also praying that we would see how big He is in the here and now. Hallowed be Your name. This is, this is what we're praying for. Show us Your holiness, God. Now, second question. You might ask, well, okay, we, we want to we see what God's like, that's fine, that's cool, that's interesting, but uh, what does it actually matter? What does it actually matter if I see what God's like? Does that actually make any difference in my life day to day? Well, the answer is it makes all the difference in the world. We're going to now go to the psalm that Chris read out for us, Psalm 50. Um, we're just going to have a kind of a briefish sort of skim through the psalm. We're not going to be able to see all the detail in the psalm. Um, but it's an amazing psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. If you do have a Bible, it would be well worth having Psalm 50 open in front of you. But we will get it on the screen as well. Um, psalm 50, it's a psalm about God. It's, it's God speaking. And it's a psalm about the difference it makes for how we live when we see God and what He's like. The difference it makes for how we live when we see God and what He's like. It starts like this with some wonderful words of uh, wonderful descriptions of what God is like, a bit like those ones that Jane showed us in the kids' talk earlier of how big God is. Um, it starts like this, it says, 
the mighty one God, God the Lord, he speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. Now, this, this is a powerful God. He brings the sun up. He, he, he makes the sunset happen. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. We're getting... uh, Sorry, I missed those last couple of verses there, didn't I? But uh, we're getting here a sense of God's power, His justice, His righteousness, His holiness. But now verse 7, He turns to speak to His people. And the context is His people are the Old Testament Israelites. His people are Old Testament followers of God. And they make sacrifices to God. And God wants to remind them that He doesn't need these sacrifices. He doesn't rely on His people for praise or food or sustenance, you know, that would be ridiculous. He, he's God. He's perfectly self-sufficient. Look at, what, look at what he says to his people. He says, listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I, I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or from goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know, I know every bird of the mountains and, and the insects in the fields are mine. We're being reminded of just how not like us God is. He doesn't need sacrifices because the whole world is his. Everything's his. Even every little insect he knows. Every animal he cares for. It's that kind of mind-boggling picture of how big God is, isn't it? And then I, I love this little bit. It's sort of like God says, you know, do you think I would need to ask you for help if I was hungry or, you know, needed a snack? Um, like I need you to feed me or something. He says, you know, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. But the whole world is mine and all that is, is it? Is it? Do, I, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's ridiculous, God says. This is what he really wants from his people. Verse 14. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honour me. This is what God wants. He wants us to see what he's like. See how big he is, how holy he is. And then he wants us to respond with integrity, with thanks and with trust. This is how we respond. This This is the difference it makes when we see how big God is, how powerful he is, how far above us he is. Yeah, if we see how big God is, well, we've almost just got to say, wow, I mean, thank you for this world you've made, God. Thank you that you're the one who brings the sun up every day. Thank you that you care for it. And if God is, if God is able to bring the sun up every day, well, then of course he's got the power to help me when I'm going through trouble. Yeah, we see how big God is. We've almost got no choice but to trust him. You know, we're not going to trust ourselves when we see how much bigger he is than us. He's nothing like us. Um, but then the psalm here, it also gives us uh, the contrast. It gives us uh, now what it looks like for someone who doesn't see what God's like. God turns to, to speak to this hypothetical um, wicked person. It says, but to the wicked person, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on my lips? 
You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. You just do whatever you feel like. You know, when you see a thief, you join with him, you, you throw in your lot with adulterers, you use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother, slander your own mother's son. When you did these things, I, and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. And here's the conclusion. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honour me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. Now these, these wicked people, they just seem to do whatever they feel like. They follow the thieves, they follow the adulterers, they slander their own siblings. Why do they do it? Well, because they just think God's exactly like them. They don't see God's holiness, they don't see that he's set apart, they don't think there's any particular reason to listen to him or to live for him. They just see God as another cheap plastic cup to do with whatever they like, just ordinary. I, uh, I think that's how a lot of people think of God today, not particularly a big deal. And this is, this is the contrast, this is the difference it makes. Those who do see what God's like, who see how big he is, that every insect is his, Every animal, you know, they go, wow, they, they thank him, they trust him, they listen to him. Because he'd be crazy not to once you see how big this God is. But those who think that God's not a big deal, that he's not holy, he's not set apart. Well, actually, it's kind of logical. Why would you listen to God if you think that he's just like you? It all goes back to that starting point, doesn't it? How do we see God? Do we see that he's set apart? Do we see his holiness? Do we hallow his name? Because if we do, that will naturally flow into other things. Thanks, trust. You can start to see, can't you, why it's the perfect first line of the Lord's Prayer. This is where we want to start. If we're praying to God, who's our loving Father, and we see what he's like, we see that he's holy, well, then the rest of our prayer lives, actually, the rest of our whole lives, not just our prayer lives, well, it all is going to flow from knowing who God is. This is how we get prayer right. We know that we're praying to a God who loves us, who's our Father, and a God who is holy, a God who is powerful. And can I say, that is a comforting truth, isn't it? It's hard sometimes in life to keep everything together. To, uh, you know, we're, we're so broken, you know, we're, we're so limited. I, um, I was kind of planning what I was going to say on Wednesday morning this week, and I was sort of trying to focus my thoughts on how can, we, how can I explain this, um, but at the same time, my mind was also racing about other things. I was, uh, you know, I'm not very good at multitasking. We were trying to think about um, our new roster that's come up for the next couple of months. I was trying to think, you know, okay, how are we going to get this all to work well? How are we going to care for our musicians? How are we going to uh, make sure we're caring for the people who are doing coffee and serving us? And, uh, uh, you know, so I'm getting distracted by that. And then I'm also aware that there's something on my car that I need to fix that I haven't got to yet. Um, and also there's a PowerPoint out in my carport that I know isn't working that I need to kind of organise someone to come and have a look at. And so... Um, I'm kind of thinking about all these things and then also underneath all that, you know, you always have those thoughts that maybe are niggling away in the back of your mind like, uh, you know, am I doing a good job this week being a husband and a father and man, my kids are getting older and am I cherishing the moments and I, you know, are we doing enough? Are we caring for them well? And, you, you know, you have all these things that are just running through your head and, you know, you just can't do it all, can you? What is weak? You know, it's only about six things and I can't possibly think about them all at once. And, you know, you know what? Praise God. Praise God that he's not like us. 
that he's set apart. He's not limited like I am. You know, he knows me, he cares for me. And not only does he know me and care for, care for me, he knows every person. Eight billion people on the earth and God cares for every single one of them. Uh, and as the psalm even said, he even knows every insect. I looked it up this week and um, do you know there are 2.5 million ants on the world? 2.5 million ants on the world per person. Per person. So for every single person there are 2.5 million ants. There you go. Um, not to mention all the other insects and animals and the planets, planets and the galaxies, you know, and his head doesn't spin. And we get to pray to him, the one who's in total control, the one who's our father. Wowee. Why would I want to keep trusting in myself when I can trust in him? What a difference it makes when we can see that God is not like us. Helps us realize I can trust this God. I can give him my life. I I can know that if I trust him, I'm safe. He cares for me. I'm safe with him. It all starts with his name being hallowed, seeing that he is holy. Our final question then, why would we pray for this? I don't know how often you pray prayers like, hallowed be your name. I actually think it's pretty easy uh, you know, to, to think, well, what does it really matter if I see more of who God is? What do I really care about praying for this? You know, I've got problems going on in my life. I've got other things that are going on this week that I need to pray for. I've got much more immediate concerns that I'm worried about, things that I want to bring before God. Um, I think there's a reason, though, that God puts hallowed, Jesus puts hallowed be your name as the first line in this prayer. Uh, it's where he wants us to start. And it's, it's not even because, you know, okay, God's more important than us, so we need to pray about him first, and then we can pray about ourselves. It's, 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 it's not even that God puts himself first and cares about his own glory more than he cares about what's going on with us. You know, those things are both probably true, but it's, it's actually because hallowing God's name, it's actually what we need. It's actually where we need to start praying. I... Um, I don't know if you've ever been um, introduced to that uh, acronym to help you pray, ACTS. Have you ever heard of that, ACTS? Um, you, you pray using ACTS, A-C-T-S. Um, you start with adoration and then confession and then thanksgiving and then supplication, I think, which means asking for stuff uh, in a fancy word. And uh, so you adore, you confess, you thank, and then you get to the end and then you ask for things. And, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good way to pray. Um, but, and I, I've often prayed that way through my life. Uh, but I think this week is the first time that I realised we don't, we don't do that sort of thing just because we, uh, just cause we're polite. You know, it's not like, oh, okay, before I ask for stuff, I just better say something nice about you and then I can ask for stuff because that's the polite thing to do. No, hallowed be your name, it's first because it's actually what we need first. You know, we need to see who God is. Because, you know, praying for all those things that are going on, those immediate circumstances, that's, that's a good thing to do. God cares about those things. But how are we ever going to trust God with those little things unless we first see that He's a holy God, that He's powerful, that He's just, that He's consistent, that He loves us, that He's going to keep His promises? You know, you, you see all that if we get who God is and that He loves us. Well, then it's not that our circumstances are unimportant. But we sort of already know it's going to be okay, don't we? Because we know who God is and we know that he cares for us. And the circumstances, they change, they come and go. But it's trusting him. That's what's going to matter for eternity. That's what's going to mean that we're... Uh, that's what we mean when we say we're praying in the light of the end. In light of the end. Trusting God, that's, 
what's going to matter forever. So why pray, hallowed be your name? Well, we pray it because it's what we need. We need to get a bigger view of who God is. And praying, hallowed be your name, helps us get prayer right because we know who we're praying to. And it helps us get life right because we know who cares for us. Hallowed be your name. It's a great thing to pray, isn't it? It's a great thing to pray for ourselves. It's also a great thing to pray for our church. I do think actually um, we need to be a little bit careful because I do think it's possible as a church to be the sort of church that likes being together and is happy to learn about God, but that doesn't actually hallow his name. We don't actually try and get a sort of a bigger view of who God is. Uh, And and no doubt at Trinity, we are really good at um, learning about God. It's certainly a strength of ours. We um, we study the Bible very closely. Um, You might say if we were talking about different tools that we use, we're really good at using microscopes. You know, we love studying the Bible very closely and, and zooming in on, on the Bible and just looking at it really closely and doing a great job thinking about the Bible and understanding the Bible. And that's a wonderful thing that we do hold very highly. Uh, but I think we also need to recognise that on its own, just learning about God is not enough. We're not like in a club of investigators trying to just learn as much about God as we can. Um, we're not academics. We want to be worshippers. You know, we want to actually be hallowing God's name. And I was, I was trying to think this week, you know, okay, if we're good at using our microscopes to really study the Bible closely, well, maybe we need other tools too. What other tools do we need? And I, um, I started thinking about a week that me and Annika uh, got to spend a few years ago in Switzerland. Uh, we got to stay in this place with this amazing view um, of the Matterhorn. And um, we, we, this is the view out of our bedroom. You can see the Matterhorn, especially um, at nighttime with all the snow and the stars. It was, it was very spectacular. And I had, a, I had a camera with me, so I sort of tried to have a go at nighttime photography. Um, this was my best effort. It was, you know, probably a four out of ten. Um, but it sort of, sort of looks nice. Um, when we're talking about hallowing God's name, we're not so much trying to talk about the microscope to study God's word very closely. Uh, we're talking about a different tool. We're, we're trying to use something like a panoramic, ca- pan- panoramic camera. We're trying to use something like a panoramic camera. We're trying to capture something of the scale of how big God is. We're trying to just get a glimpse of his holiness, of his gloriness, of his grandeur, of, of how not like us he is. And like with a photo, you know, we can only ever capture so much. A professional, a professional photographer could probably take this same photo and make it um, ten times better, but it still would not compare really to being there, would it? Well, one day, Jesus will return and we'll see God's holiness. We'll see Jesus face to face. God's name will be properly hallowed. But we can still do things now too. We, we can see in part, we can try and catch a glimpse of just how remarkable our God is. And we, we do have tools that can help us to do that. You know, this is why we love singing together and worshipping and praise uh, every Sunday when we come together because singing helps us lift our hearts and our emotions and get a sense of just how big God is. And it, we do things like that when we come together on Sundays, but there are things through the week as well, praying singing to ourselves, meditating. We're just trying to catch a glimpse of how big this God is, how holy he is, how not like us he is. And just trying to grapple with the idea that he cares for us and that we, he loves us and that we can come to him and be safe with him. And we need this because we need to know as a church that we follow a God who we can give our lives to. He's powerful and he's on our side. We can trust him. It's a great thing to pray for our church that 
God's name would be hallowed in our church. And it's a great thing as well to pray for our friends, isn't it? Um, to pray for our city, to pray for our country, to pray for our friends this Christmas. You know, we would love to see God's name hallowed around this city. We would love to see God's name hallowed uh, in the lives of our friends. And really, when we do talk about mission here at church, it's not, it's not really primarily us trying to convince other people out there that we're right and they're wrong and that we've got the right worldview. Really, we're trying to let people know that there's a holy God. We just, we just love, we'd love people to know that there's a holy God, a God who cares for this world, a God who they can thank for all the wonderful gifts they enjoy. We'd love people to know that there's a holy God that they can trust, a holy God that they can give their lives to. It's the greatest blessing we have, to be able to know the holy God. It's what we want for our friends, for our city, for our country, people to know him. And of course, the reality is one day his holiness will be revealed fully when Jesus returns. Everyone will see his holiness. They will see his perfect justice. The question is whether we see it now, catch a glimpse of it now, and rejoice that we can trust in our God, or whether we see his holiness then, when Jesus returns and we see his holy and just judgment and sit under that judgment. More on that next week as we look at the next line of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. For now, let me pray, and we're going to sing to our holy God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, we all have so much going on in life. I'm sure in this room there's all sorts of struggles and different things that we're going through, hardships, uncertainties. It's a great thing that we can pray for those things. But we've seen today, Father, that before we get to those things... We just want to see you. We want to see your power, to see your holiness. Help us, Father, to rest this week knowing that you are the holy and the powerful God and that we can trust you with everything, with our present, with our future, even with our eternity. Hallow your name for us this week, Father. Amen.